No G with a Z. P-O-D. This is the Smoking Guns Podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. Hopefully that came out okay. We have these new tools that I'm not used to running. Uh, Philip Pigginbotham not with us, but I am Leo Yamas along with my co-hosts, RC, and joining us once again, Ralph Judkins. I'm sorry, I didn't li- I didn't give you a chance to say hi, RC. Go ahead and say hi, RC, to all the folks out there. Hello, beautiful people. And Ralph, go ahead and say hello to everyone. Howdy, folks. Thanks for joining us again. I'm starting to make a habit of this. Yes. I like uh, it. And we, yeah, we, 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 like, we like the habit. We, we enjoy having you here, Ralph. Thanks for joining us once again. This is the Smoking Guns Podcast. We are a podcast about professional football in San Antonio, uh, including the 100-yard variety for our San Antonio Brahmas, and more importantly, at least at this time of year, the 50-yard indoor variety of our San Antonio Gunslingers, our now 8-2 San Antonio Gunslingers, still technically in first place. Technically, but uh, we had a rough, rough go this past Saturday. Uh, we were there, all three of us were there at the watch party uh, to witness our gunslingers taking on the Orlando Predators who are fighting for their playoff lives. And uh, we'll start with the watch party. It seemed like a pretty good turnout there. Um Actually, there was quite a few fans there in attendance to watch the game. It was a, a rowdy environment there at Alamo Beer. Uh, a lot of fans not quite there all the way to the end, leaving a, with a, a little bit of dejection there, as we all know how this game went. But we're going to talk about that. Uh, it was good to see you guys there and enjoy the time that we had, despite what was going on on the live stream. Uh, what did you have to uh what did you observe rc from the uh the watch party this was your first time back uh you had taken a little a little getaway uh so how did it feel to be back at the watch party with your fellow gunslingers posse yeah your mic's muted i i said it feels great but i wanted to mention we have a mascot i don't know if you know but we have a mascot <laughs> uh, yes anyway so hello everybody from the mascot um it felt great uh last week i was in in vegas as y'all know and i'm back now and it was i was really surprised we had such a great turnout i mean usually we get 15 20 but okay i'm horrible with numbers but would would i would you agree there was like at least 50 or more i said it was it was approaching that number yeah. I don't know if it was quite 50, but it was definitely close. There was a lot of gunslingers, red, white, and blue there. A lot of people excited about this game. And uh, even through what we were witnessing, the, the first quarter, second quarter, uh, everyone was still hopeful and, and loud. And we had the uh, the bandit uh, yeah, there, the gunslingers did. bandit, who was Rick leading Vela. in cheers and everything, Rick Vela, uh, when we – started to maybe mount a little bit of a comeback, but we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Right. But yes, it was a, it was a very nice crowd. Of course, Ralph was one of the first there in attendance getting set up uh, with his 
old trusty pad and, and pen uh, to take that. down. I didn't know the... we were taking having a test afterwards or what. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, but one I... thing that I really noticed was that you could easily distinguish all of the fans because they were all wearing merchandise, whether it hats, t-shirts, boats, cowbells. It didn't matter. Literally everybody there had something that said gunslingers. And if you notice in the um, uh, during the game, rarely, rarely did you see anyone in those fans have any kind of merchandise or gear related to their team. So kudos to the gunslingers and the staff and the merchandise people, because literally I could say we were 100% representing the gunslingers at Alamo Beer. And that was good news for uh, the team as far as that goes. But it was, as you said, Leo, this was all fans. Uh, the uh, the Stubings were either at or had gone to Orlando or were celebrating uh, on the coast in preparation for the 4th of July mm -hmm. weekend uh, at a, a retreat down there. So they weren't there. It was, it was just us and the fans and, of course, uh, the videographer. And That's right. I, I don't think he's going to cut a video from that one because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of cheering. I mean, it was a long, dreary halftime. Yeah. I saw Robert Seco there, the videographer, and it seemed like he was more wearing his fan hat than his work hat. I'm not sure if that was the intention going in or if because of the mood of the crowd, if he decided that probably wasn't the best time to, to stick cameras in, in people's faces to, to show the look of concern and and just uh, dread at moments uh, throughout that. But he was definitely wearing his fan hat and cheering on the team and uh, showing his disappointment just the rest of the, the way the rest of us wore with what we were seeing unfold. As Johnny Salazar said a little while ago, when we mentioned the colors, everybody wearing red, white, and blue, he said he was wearing red and white, but he left blue as uh, all of the fans did on Saturday evening, unfortunately. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what got us to that state. Um, obviously, the game didn't go the, the way we wanted to. No. Uh, the Predators coming in, fighting for their playoff lives, uh, looking to really make a statement with this home game and and get a win and kind of cement their advantage over the West Texas Warbirds. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they caught the Gunslingers maybe snoozing a little bit, maybe just not quite as focused. I know they flew up the day prior to the game. I don't know if they were not rested, but they definitely weren't focused. It definitely looks a little bit unprepared. Would you say the same, Ralph? I don't know if I'd go so far as unprepared, uh, but I would say that the first quarter was an unmitigated disaster. Mm -hmm. What the reason for that is, was it motivation of the Predators to try to notch a win, saying, you know, we got nothing to lose, uh, and with a win here, we can get closer, one win closer to locking down the fourth and final and not worry about West Texas nipping at our heels anymore. And plays led to plays yep. that, that first on that first series two strip sacks or two strips effectively two fumbles both recovered by the gunslingers but on fourth down it almost didn't matter yeah that series kind of really set the tone for the rest of the game 
unfortunately, it, 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 it was off to, off to a rough start and it just kind of got the gunslingers rattled and they, they didn't really ever uh, recover. Uh, Jay Washington chiming in on YouTube, Orlando's defense shut down the gunslingers for a quarter and a half. Prince had three TDs in the first, I believe. And yes, that is correct. And that was kind of the aspect where I said maybe a little bit unprepared because Darius Prince had some of these catches, not just his touchdown catches, but during these drives, it seemed almost like pitch and catch between him and quarterback uh, Danny uh, Southwick, who was kind of taking what the defense was giving him, little dinks and dunks here and there, where Darius Prince was wide open in the middle of the field. And when you leave Prince, who's probably, if not the best, but one of the best wide receivers in the NAL, wide open like that, um, I don't I don't know exactly what the defensive game plan was, but I'm sure that wasn't it. So we'll go ahead, Ralph. You're right. You, Prince was a big feature in that game. He was the guy they were going to throw to when they needed uh, a, a key reception and a key point when they were at a third and long, second and long, whatever it was. Anytime they were in a hole, you passed to Darius Prince and you got out of it. An insult to injury on every single one of those first three turnovers, the Predators scored all three of the times to Darius Prince. And to cap it all off, uh, they kick a deuce. And it's 22 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Right. Yeah. So at the game, watching this unfold and, and seeing this, kind of implosion that we're watching of, of our gunslingers on the field in front of us. Um, particularly, it felt like it was the offense um, while we're watching it live. And particularly, it felt like a lot had to do with the shortcomings of Arville Nelson, the quarterback, uh, who is widely regarded as a very dangerous quarterback. You know, he's he's in the conversation for MVP of the league. Uh, right. He's got the stats to back it up, but we've seen that he's had his moments where it seems like he struggled, uh, had a great game last week. And so we felt good going into this road game here, but uh, there was definitely um, an issue there with, uh, with this, the gunslingers offense uh, right off the bat of the game. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I, I kind of want to, because Ralph, you and I were talking a little bit before the show where our impressions while watching the game live with the distractions of, you know, everything going on around us and the, and the drinks and the food and just the, the hype of the game and the emotions that come with that. You don't always see everything on film the way it's actually happening. And so it's always good to go back and watch a second time. And as I, as I said, the feeling, at least for me and for many around me, I think was, um, what the heck is Arvell Nelson doing? Um, and Arvell really struggled for the team and, and was a big part of the lack of offense in the first half. And while obviously the quarterback is going to have some part to play in that, if you go back and watch the film, I would argue the point that 
it wasn't quite as much on Arvel's shoulders as some of us maybe unfairly were were putting it uh, initially. Well, so, I know. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, RC. Um, I know when they at first uh, the announcers were talking before the game, they really were worried about Arnell. I mean, really, and mm -hmm. they said, you know, he's leading in the passes and this and that, and so their focus was maybe to get him off key, and they did it. Because he was not 100%. He really wasn't. Um, and then with Prince, even though we'll probably talk about it later on, when Prince played here last in San Antonio, I actually saw him after the game, and he was pissed off. And he was not happy with the results. And then I was like, hey, commanders for life. He turned, smiled, gave me a thumbs up, but he went back to like being really upset. And so I know he had something to prove, and he proved it. Because he was all over the place on that field on Saturday. Yeah, I think Orlando definitely came in with a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder over how they were beat here in San Antonio. I think yep. they wanted uh, to prove something. Obviously, Orlando has had an infusion of talent True. Uh, as well since we last saw them. Uh, but as Chase, as Chase Risman says on the Facebook feed, what did the city of San Antonio do to the Predators? They beat the force in the only shutout in AFL history. Very true. That was mm -hmm. 50 to zero. Uh, they beat the gunslingers in arena football's return to San Antonio. Now they potentially cost the gunslingers the number one seed. All true. And your question to answer the question, what did the city of San Antonio do to the Predators? Well, I think it might have something to, a little something to do with what the gunslingers did to the Predators when they were last in San Antonio. This was their answer, and it was it was a response right from the get go. As Ralph said earlier, in the first, uh, uh, as soon as they got the ball, their first uh, uh, possession, they went right downfield, and Southwick hit Darius Prince uh, for a touchdown, uh, wide open, uh, missed the extra point that put them up six to zero. Then the San Antonio Gunslingers in their first possession. Two incompletions to start. They they went deep in the first play. They went for they went for the the uh, deep ball uh, right away for the quick strike, and it looked like a good ball, but just uh, barely overthrown. Second one, I believe, was an incomplete to Kali Rashad, and then the Predators' defensive line turned the pressure on. Uh, we had two, I believe, consecutive strip sacks. Both recovered. That's the right. first one was recovered by. Um, Pierre. Uh, Pierre, yes, Pierre. And then the second one recovered by the offensive line, but it was on fourth down. So yeah, it was on jo yep. Joshua Otis fell on that one. Yep, Otis. And then it was a turnover on downs. And then they Predators come back with an immediate response to go up with another touchdown uh, to um, Darius Prince once again. Mm -hmm. He was hot. Yeah, yes, he did. It, and then they hit the extra point on that one. So they go up 13 to zero. So second possession, I have some notes here that I kind of want to go through the progression here, guys. So second possession, Arvell Nelson has a quick out to Philip Barnett for 10 yards on first down. So he gets a completion there. The next play um, is an interception to number zero, Delvin Randall, who played – Played the ball perfectly. He jumped. He jumped in front of Philip Barnett uh, 
not a particularly well-thrown ball, uh, but give some credit to uh, Delvin Randall on that. And then we have a the second turnover of the game for the Gunslingers, this time on an interception. Um, so that's where it kind of started, where we're looking at Arvell Nelson and going, uh-oh, here we go again. Right. Right? But the thing is, after that, once again, you have Southwick, who's able to just kind of pick apart the middle of the field. And so I think a lot of the blame has to go on whether it's the defensive game plan or the defensive cells, but the coverage seemed to be a little soft. Like they were just giving these guys a little bit too much room on defense and Southwick was taking what the defense was giving them. And he was able to just go down field. And at that point they're down two touchdowns. So he's able to capitalize and next thing you know, he hits uh, back of the end zone. Uh, who was it? Uh, oh, it was Darius Prince again for his third consecutive touchdown. And they're up 22 to zero after hitting the deuce, which just barely went over that crossbar. I know in the game live, it looked like it was short, but if you go back and look at it, it actually cleared that crossbar by, I mean, it must have been an inch or two. What, what's what's your thoughts on that, Ralph? Well, uh, how nerdy do you want me to go? How deep do you want me to go in this? Go deep. I'm, go deep. Let's go deep. Okay. Yeah. So talking about the two strips of Nelson on the first play, the Orlando defense played very, very aggressively. On that first strip, uh, Kali was jammed on the line. The other two receivers were running a fly and a curl and weren't looking for the ball. By the time uh, – I, Arvell was looking to the player for the curl. Uh, Booth, Lo Booth Lloyd had worked his way around uh, Mikhail Harvey, and that was the last time that that happened, that uh, Harvey got beat by Booth Lloyd. It wasn't anything else. On the second one, it was actually a bit of a broken play, uh, and Nelson was looking for, Chil for Chisholm, and... Chisholm was covered, and he before he got a chance to look at the backside receivers, uh, Richard McKenzie just got a hand by Big Josh Otis and stripped the ball away on the backside. So it really was started in the secondary with a bit of a coverage, and the mm -hmm. interception was kind of the same way. Very much a broken play. Uh, Barnett gets open, signals, gets the attention of Arvell Nelson and starts to come back for the ball, but the ball was thrown to where he was, which was 50-50 mm -hmm. to the defender. And as you said, uh, Devon Randall comes back faster. I mean, it, when the ball was thrown, it was a perfect triangle. Unfortunately, the DB and the receiver were equidistant from the ball. Again, math teacher, I kind of look at it that way. And the one that had already started moving was Randall. And because he had started moving to come back for the ball because he saw it, that's why he got in a position to pick it. So that's super yep. nerdy, looking at, looking at film very, very, very closely. Bit of research done because I knew I might have to talk about it today. And, and I kind of thought the chippiness started a little bit early, too. Yeah, it started to get a little bit chippy right about uh, towards the end of the, the first quarter. Right. Um, I think the gunslingers were a little shell-shocked. Frustrated. Uh, yeah, they were frustrated. 
Um, the defense, as as Ralph said, uh, of Orlando was to that point playing a really strong game, both on the line and in coverage. And, you know, Arvell Nelson seems to not be at his best when he's under pressure, under a lot of pressure. And I don't mean pressure as in no pocket, but I mean, when there's a pressure of having to come back when you're behind or having to make plays happen when the coverage is, is tight. Um, he seems to, to struggle a little bit with his accuracy, uh, in, like in the play that Ralph just described, where he's just trying to make something happen and the pressure is there and and having a, a a hard time with it. And then when you put the pass rush and you figure that in with the strip sacks, uh, it was it was a bad start for Arvell, but I don't think you can put it all on, on his shoulders. Once they're down 22 to zero, he's in a spot where everyone in the, on the gunslingers knows that they're going to have to, score some points pretty quick yeah they got to work to get back in that game so moving on Arvell comes back in uh first down incomplete pass but on second down he hits not a Nico Thomas Mm -hmm. um in stride with a nice pass over the middle for a 20-yard gain right and then after that uh on second down he sacked once again there's the pass rush for a loss of three yards now on that play looking at it I wondered if maybe he held on to it just a little bit too long because Barnett was open, but Barnett was open almost in the same spot on that play where um, Randall made the interception and Randall was there in coverage. And it made me wonder if maybe Arvell kind of thought twice about that uh, because of, because of what happened the, the, the time he went to that, the, the previous time and he ended up taking a sack Um, third down, uh, pass tipped incomplete, uh, but then they had an offsides uh, penalty. Uh, uh, Orlando did, so you get five yards. So that puts you on fourth and eight, and he hits Barnett at that point on fourth and eight for eleven yards over the middle, right between two two defenders. Very nicely thrown ball. So you have first and goal from the eight yard line there, and it seems like Arvell is kind of maybe starting to get a little bit of a rhythm going. The offense is moving. I mean, you're in scoring position. Um, so on the first on first and eight, pass is incomplete. Now, here's one thing. He throws this ball to the right wall. And, yes, it's a little bit behind Pierre Turner. And Pierre Turner isn't exactly known for being a receiver, although he's, you know, he's caught some passes here and there. He's not a top target in the passing game. But still – Looking at that play, and I love Pierre Turner, I don't think that was an uncatchable ball. I just think that Pierre didn't get – he didn't turn to the ball and get get the angle that he needed to make that catch. But it was definitely there. It was away from the defense. Um, I don't necessarily think that was a poorly thrown ball. I just don't think Pierre made the correct adjustment to make that reception. Uh, so you go to the end of the first quarter down 22 to zero, but you're in scoring position, mm-hmm. right? So start of the second, uh, Arvell throws out of bounds uh, over the end zone, almost, I guess he's a corner end zone, throwing the ball away. Again, I think that was a coverage thing. There was, there was just nobody open. Uh, third down, the pocket collapses. Nelson tucks the ball and does what he does best and runs and gets us all the way to the two-yard line. 
So we're in scoring position now, fourth, uh, fourth and goal from the two yard line. And coach Shaw calls a timeout and we're wondering what the play is. And I remember Ralph looking over at you and saying, this is, you know, Pierre Turner afterburner time. It's your goal line offense. It's, it's uh, what's your bread, been your bread and butter in this type of position all year long. Yes, the Predators are probably expecting that as well, but you you impose your will on the defense. You don't bend to what the defense is doing. At least that's that's my point of view. Coach Shaw decides to do something a little bit different, I guess, and maybe catch the defense off, uh, off guard and goes for a pass play. Um, once again, Arvell maybe holds the ball just a little bit too long. He's got two receivers standing in the same spot. Uh, Kali Rashad and uh, I think it was I think it was Chisholm. And he throws it high. Uh, both de- defensive backs are there, so it's kind of a jump ball. And he gets the ball to where it hits Chisholm's hand, uh, but he doesn't bring it in. And Chisholm is normally the type of guy, we've talked about it with Spider-Man, where he'll get his hand and get those tough catches. So Arvell put it under a a tight situation, a bad situation, he put the ball exactly where it needed to be to give them a chance to score. Now, I would rather have been a keeper in that situation with uh, Pierre Turner behind him, pushing him into the end zone, but I'm not calling the plays. Um, uh, For some reason, Coach Saw saw something, and it might have been because of how strong and stout that defensive line had been looking to this point. But a golden opportunity right there missed – and it's a turnover on downs uh, instead of getting the score when you're two yards out. Uh, what was your what was your take on on that possession, Ralph? Well, I would disagree. I think the throw the ball was thrown too far behind Turner. Turner was turned uh, the wrong way to come back for it, and that was just unfortunate because that was an opportunity on that fourth down uh, up to point at the final fourth down. The previous fourth down was awarded only because of a penalty. The gunslingers hadn't earned it. And on this last play, the gunslingers didn't get the touchdown either. So you're 0 for 2 on fourth down and 0 for 3 because in that first possession, you're out. So something's wrong right there when you cannot convert on a single fourth down and you're relying on penalties. Add that to the interception. All of this together, and at the at that last incompletion, you see Nelson swing his hand in absolute disgust and beat yep. himself on the chest. Arvell's a leader, and yes, he, he takes it very personally when his performance is not helping the team because he knows the offense runs through his hands, and he knows what he's capable of the two strips, the interception, and now this. I don't think there's physically anything wrong with Arvell, but at that point, his head was probably in a very dark, bad place. Now he yeah. comes back out on the next next and puts together a five-play drive, and on fourth down, they do uh, get Juice Robinson open. And yes. finally break the shutout. Finally break the shutout, but before that, just to mention real quickly again to kind of put where my perspective is, where I'm kind of my opinion and Ralph and I kind of think the same thing, but have a difference of opinion on, on the, why. the, 
Yeah, the why? We agree on what? Yeah. The the defense, once again, starts to maybe give you a little bit of hope. They got, they got after a couple of, you know, short gains and a couple of penalties, they had the Predators on a fourth and long from their own 13-yard line. Alexander and, had the sack on third mm-hmm. down, and it was fourth down coming up, and all we needed was a stop on fourth down. Yep. Fourth and 13. It would have kept it at 22 points, three scores. And then you only got to claw back one possession in the second half. If you're able to get that, because you get the ball to start the second half. Yep. But that's not how it went. Well, I know that like the, the first part of the game, us as fans, we kind of were quiet. We didn't have a whole lot to cheer about, right? There was a lot of, oh, you know, come on, gunslingers. Second quarter, yeah. I felt like we were kind of getting in the groove. You know, there was things we would cheer about. Then we go, oh, you know, like our yeah. the wind came out of our sails. I just wish, I know football is a game of inches. And if maybe, you know, Spidey went a little bit further out, he could have caught that. And so it just seemed like by inches we were missing stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right, RC. So there seemed to be a little bit of life in the gunslingers, particularly on offense. And then on defense on that one possession where we had them on fourth and long, where you're right there where something positive is about to happen. If they can just make a play and then nothing. Right. And so, yeah, disappointment. And the disappointment went all the way from Orlando and it permeated back into Texas sure to the crowd that was, uh, that was there witnessing this on the live stream at Alamo beer company. And on that fourth down, they give up the long reception to once again, Darius Prince, right. All the way to the gunslingers eight yard line. So that's not a good formula, Ralph, right? When you're not converting on fourth downs and you're giving up on defense, you're giving up fourth down conversions to the, the opposing uh, offense. That is a, that is a formula for disaster, and that's what we were witnessing. Yeah, and the the defense was fired up at that point. They knew that things had gone very, very badly, and they were kind of angry, or should we say put out at Mm -hmm. that point, uh, to use a more family-friendly version of it, uh, and wanted to get a stop there. They really, really did, Mm -hmm. and despite their best efforts, the league – uh, offensive player of the year from last year finds his way open. Southwick connects with him, makes it look easy, and it, it just a bit of, a bit of a heartbreak at that point. It's like, can we even get a stop? And in the first half, uh, well, they did get one, but it was at the end, and it didn't really matter. Didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So at at that point you know it was it was uh 29 to 0 after after that ensuing score because they scored off of that fourth uh, down conversion to again a wide open receiver mm-hmm. uh I, I have it here it was uh Southwick hitting number 22 Caleb Walls who was wide open on the wall on the right wall uh all by himself and just kind of danced into the end zone down the sideline and went in untouched uh, so the defense definitely not helping out the offense and Arvell Nelson in this situation where they're just kind of al- allowing that hole to get bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, the rest, the rest of the first half, we get 
the next possession, Arvell again, kind of in a rhythm, hits uh, some wide open receivers, and then eventually finds Juice Robinson in the end zone. Um, and then the suing ensuing possession probably was the right call. I, I would say it was definitely the right call. It was just not executed. Uh, the squib kick um, by Drew Pearson and yeah. uh, the Predators were able to recover that and then have the ball deep in gunslinger territory. And then something really interesting happened after that to end the, the to to end the half. So the Predators have the ball at the gunslingers' eighteen after recovering that that squib kick. And then after that, they run four consecutive run plays. Mm-hmm. Obviously trying to run down the clock because there was a little over three minutes left in the first half when they recovered that uh, kickoff. And then they run four consecutive run plays um, and turn the ball over on downs. They get all the way to the two-yard line and then throw an incomplete with three seconds left. Uh, just enough time for a, a desperation last play by the gunslingers, which didn't result in actually resulted in a fumble with Kali Rashad trying to make a play and 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 lateraling the ball to a gunslinger player that wasn't there. Predators recovered and time expired. But those four run plays to run down the clock, gunslingers did not call a single timeout. They did not seem to care about having another opportunity. For some reason, if they could make that defensive stop um, to try and and score once again in the first half, knowing that they'd get the ball uh, first in the second half, um, being that Orlando got the ball uh, to start the game. Uh, What's what's your guys opinion on on that? No timeouts called during that entire three minute period to end the half. I kind of felt that they and this is just my opinion, they kind of gave up. And we're already thinking, okay, this uh, first half is done. Let's start thinking about the second half. And they didn't play with the same enthusiasm, aggressiveness that I think they needed. I didn't think that they were like, okay, well, this first half is done. You know, we'll go into halftime and then we'll come back better. But I think they missed opportunities there. I I would ag- agree with you, RC. Uh, the, the spillover effect Coach Shaw is watching Arvell Nelson. Effectively, if there was such a thing, the franchise player or one of the potential franchise players of the team go in the first three possessions, two for 11 on passing. Okay, so he looked a little better, three, four, five on the next drive. Now he's up to five for 16. That's below a third. I, who wouldn't wouldn't want this half to be over at that point? <laughs> exactly. So there's there's a bit of a spillover there that perhaps they didn't see the opportunity, but the gunslinger offense got rocked and shocked. They they only scored on one of five possessions in the first half, finished five for eleven in the second, which we'll get to. But I mean, who wouldn't want that sucker to be over one way or the other? Right. I agree. I agree. Was it, you know, wasn't a missed opportunity. Potentially the window was very narrow in any case. And it, at least we got the stop and they didn't score on the, the, the predators, the were stopped on, on downs on their final possession of the first half. Yeah. So Arvell Nelson in the first half, you talk about, he only turned out, he only played in the first half uh, was seven completions with 11 incompletes. 
So total 18 attempts. That's a percentage of Not just good. under 39%. <laughs> which as RC mentioned is, is not good. We talked about that Ralph uh, in, in the first half as that was going. And you said the bare minimum for QB completion percentage that you want to see for your quarterback is what? 50%. 50% is adequate in this league to win. You have good enough receivers. You complete two passes. That's good enough for a first down. You complete two more passes. You get a run. That's another first down. You don't have to throw it to the end zone. And the gunslingers kind of got away from that game plan. I guess they thought they could, but that's that's all you need. But if you've got somebody throwing around a 33, anything that starts with a three, that's not going to work. And that's, that's what Coach Shaw was looking at was an abysmal performance. Uh, Arvell Nelson was wounded at that point. Uh, in in pride, uh, and yeah, let's go. To, let's go to the locker room. Let, let's let's reset and figure out what's going on and come out and do better. Yep, uh, Quentin Humphrey, Coach Q, as I call him, agrees that sometimes you just have to allow the first half to end and come together at half and come back better, like RC said. So it's it's more of a get that half over with, get into the locker room, go back to the drawing board, kind of figure out what adjustments you're going to make and hope, as Philip likes to say, that you can do to the other team in the second half what they did to you in the first half. That's one of the things he says uh, he maintains he really likes about football is no matter how bad it is at halftime, you can always go back and do the same thing to them that they did to you. That's true. And it's, it's hard to do, though. Yeah, it is being, being down three. They're ended up down down two with the final stop uh, possessions. But historically, it's hard. Uh, I believe the biggest comeback was 22 points. And when it got to 29-0, I'm keeping my mouth shut at the watch party saying if the gunslingers were able to come back from this, it would be a historical comeback and a historical cla- a collapse by the predators. So if we're wishing for something that never has happened before, and that's just not a great way to start your second half. That's true. Or in this case, start the second quarter. (laughs) Right. Hoping, hoping for some kind of historic comeback is, is not the position you ever want to be in when you're uh, rooting for your team. But unfortunately that's the position that we were in Mm -hmm. going into halftime. So coach Shaw makes some adjustments at, at the half. And uh, one of those adjustments, were, were you surprised? Were you guys surprised to see Robert Kent Jr. under center to start the second half? Well, before we get into the second half, I just want to make a comment. Okay. And it has to do with the cheerleaders. Okay. So the cheerleaders look like they were wearing a sports bra. Okay. Not a classy move. <laughs> I want to give kudos to our six shooters because we always look classy. I love our uniforms. I love the outfits that we have. I like our moves. And I just want to say the Predator, whatever they call those cheerleaders, they need to step up their uniform because it looked like just they were wearing a sports bra. That's it. Now we can go to the third quarter. Yeah, Jim comes on and corrects me with the uh, the correct point total. And I should have known that. I was going to say 19, but uh, I lost confidence in me. That's okay. Maybe that's what happened to Arvell. I don't know. Never lose, yeah. Never lose confidence in yourself. 
Um, but you're right. It did appear that the Predators' defense was uh, able to get into his head right. in that first half. And uh, maybe that's that's what Coach Shaw saw and decided to say, hey, you know, this night isn't going the way we want it to. It's not your night. And, you know, it's it's time to sit and we'll go with uh, the, the Duke, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Kent Jr., and bring him in and see what he can do for us in the second half. Um, and a lot of the fans were excited to see, and I don't blame them because, right. you know, there's there's the attachment to last season. Uh, and what what uh, Kent Jr. did for us last season, he was he was awesome Amazing. as a starting quarterback. Yeah, and and you know the Gunslingers just barely missed the playoffs, and they were a team as we've said many times before. Nobody wanted to play come the end of the season. Uh, we just ran out of games. But um, he comes out and um, struggles a little bit too, Ralph. Right? I mean, it, it's it's better, but. I mean, what, what can you expect? Even from a quarterback as great as Robert Kent Jr., you throw him out at halftime under center uh, when he's not taking most of the reps in practice right. and, you know, just just kind of getting a, a, accustomed to the offense, a, a recent join to the team. It's only been a couple of weeks. Um, you're, you're asking a lot of him to come out there and, and make a historical comeback in the second half, right? Uh, it would have been a, a bit, and that's actually not – Robert Kent's forte. That's not his role. Robert Robert Kent is a very consistent, very calm, tough guy who will lead you to a win. And that is, I described him in the press release as workmanlike because that's, that's what he is. He comes in, it's calm. He does a job. And if he, if he's on and he usually is, it, it's a pretty good performance. It's pretty hard to meet. He led the offense to 26 points in the second half. If he had 26 points in the first half, that's 52 points. That is what Orlando had. My that's only, w. not my, well, it, it, it would have been closer. Closer, that's true. It would have been closer, but three turnovers will doom anyone. Uh, I will only disagree with coach Q. He makes a point about making it that in arena, it's possible to come back. Yeah, but three, three turnovers right at the start, three possession deficit. And they gave it back on the second drive uh, with Robert Kent on the interception. And that, that, that brought it back to three and just try without time. Without the time, you just you just can't come back. It is it is tough, and that's why 19 points is the biggest comeback that or any, any biggest deficit that any team has overcome that actually won the game. Ironically, West Texas scored more than the, more than that uh, on us in that first game at home that was nearly a disaster. Right. Yeah. To 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 make a comeback. I mean, it, the bottom line it down is comes down to stops, right? And, and it's hard to stop any team in this game because of the way the game is uh, very leaned toward the offensive side of the ball, uh, as far as the rules and how the how the game is is uh, constructed. So you don't see a whole lot of stops, and when you're down three scores going into the second half. Um, that's that's a tall order. So going into the second half, 
we were still cheering for our team, but we kind of saw the writing on the wall and and figured what was what was coming. Uh, we're just watching it unfold before us. Um, and as you said, Robert Kent's able to get you know, 26 points in the second half. Did throw a couple of interceptions, um, but uh, that's not something that he hasn't done in the past. Uh, you know, he'll get you one or one or two, maybe two interceptions a game. Uh, even as a starter, we, we've seen that, but he'll he'll make a lot of great plays offensively as well. So, like you said, I, I, that's not his game as far as coming back uh, from such a, a large deficit like that. Um, I like to think just jokingly, I, I, I have it here for those of you watching on Facebook. I have it on, on my subtitle under my name. I said, we forgot the mud. and <laughs> We came out to play the uh, the Orlando Predators. Uh, the Predators were gunning for us. The Gunslingers wore their prey that night. And anybody who's a, a fan of the Predators, the, the TV series, they know how Arnold was able to beat uh, the Predator in that <clears throat> first movie. He's able to, to disguise himself from the infrared view of the Predator in right. his helmet by covering himself in mud. And maybe the Gunslingers just needed to be a little more dirty. Not in the bad sense of the word, but like uh, Pops likes to say, I, I need some nasty. Uh, didn't see enough of the nasty on defense, I think, um, in this game uh, right off the bat. So uh, I, I'm, I'm standing by that phrase right there. We forgot the mud. And uh, I like Ar it. Arvell Nelson kind of uh, takes the fall for that and takes a lot of the blame, but I don't. He's the easy I don't, guy to blame. It, yeah. It's, it's so easy. I mean, we were there at the watch party and we were like, what the heck is wrong with Arvell? Well, it's not all Arvell. It, it, and yeah. it, but we go back and we look at it and calm and what I call my hangover watch the next day after a loss. Uh, I'm not feeling too good, but I got to put myself through this. So I watched the film again and I started seeing things and then I go to actual film uh, with uh, that the coaches get to work with. And I look at that and go, Oh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing what went on there. It wasn't the ball just fell out of his hands. It, it was definitely stripped out of his hands. Oh, there was good coverage downfield, perhaps even mm -hmm. a little bit of too good coverage downfield. Oh, they, they're jamming. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. And by the time somebody was open, I was watching the receivers. I'd look back and the ball had already been stripped. There were literally was nothing else he could have done except decide before the receivers even had run their route that, ah, screw it, I'm just going to run. Yeah, and I, like you, watching that game, watching the, the replay, you know, I saw, I saw receivers not getting open, you know, credit the defense, but also that's on the receivers too, uh, to get open and get open sooner. And I saw receivers just not catching – those 50-50 balls or those balls that were were placed where they could possibly, you know, make that catch and and on different circumstances would make those catches and they just weren't making them uh, on this night. And then just Arvell Nelson being put in a very, very difficult situation uh, because the gunslingers defensively weren't able to, to answer the call when they needed to in this particular game and make the stops when, when they had to and really needed them. You know, uh, when uh, this reminds me of when you're watching a movie and them talking, the dialogue is a little bit slower than what you're actually seeing. 
that's what it reminded me of. Like, like the gunslingers were just on slow-mo mode or something. They just weren't quick enough. They just weren't there at the right timing. Timing was off. Maybe, a, like you said, get a little nasty. They, it was just like that. Like when you're watching a movie and it's just not connecting, that's what I felt like. Yeah. Uh, uh, Quentin Humphrey, Coach Q says, I will say going forward, put that chip back on your shoulder that you have a target on your back and play for four quarters. Yes, mistakes were made, but this can make a team stronger to want to fight harder. That's true. 100% agree with that. We got to put this game behind us. Uh, you know, the gunslingers have the luxury of having an off week this week, a bye week right. to prepare for what's next. Look at the film, make adjustments, uh, fix some things, decide what they want to do at quarterback. That That's a question now. Um, I don't, if it's me, I, I'm not, I, I don't think Arvell Nelson played himself out of his job, in my opinion, just no. to no. No, I don't think come so. right out and say it. I don't think so. Yeah, he had a bad game, but I mean, he just came off of uh, an outstanding game where, as Ralph mentioned, he was player of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think uh, the Orlando Predators had a very good game plan. The defense uh, played very well and put him in uncomfortable situations. Uh, the uh, Gunslingers' defense didn't come through when when they needed to, and uh, the receivers. Uh, at some points, it was a line. The receivers. I don't think Arvell Nelson had the help that he needed uh, to get this team back in the game. Um, so Coach Shaw makes the adjustment at halftime, and and brings in Robert Kent Jr. And it, what a luxury to have a guy like that on your bench. But I don't think at this point you you go to that permanently move to that. But I mean that's going to be Coach Shaw's. Uh, decision and he's got a week or two weeks to mull that over or actually a week because you're going to have to practice uh, for the, for the, uh, the following game with your QB one taking reps. Uh, But at this point, if anybody's asking the question is uh, Kent jr. The guy now moving forward, I don't believe so. I don't either. What do you think Ralph? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so either. But I did want to take on, please put up uh, Mike Tackett's comments. Uh, let let people read that. It says, of all eligible passers, NAL QB accuracy ranged from 64.7% to 58.4%, with an average of 60.6% completion percentage. To say a 50% completion percentage is acceptable at any level of football in today's game is asinine, especially in an indoor league. Shots fired, (laughs) Mike. Bang, bang. Oh, my gosh. And that's fine because my response to that is it is still 50% in my mind because if you don't have turnovers, all you need is 50%. Now, to say that the average is at 60 yeah, yeah, it probably is. Uh, can't finish nine for 17, which is above 50%. And not looking at the percentages, I'm looking at a yardstick measurement to say that bare minimum, you got to be above mm-hmm. or at to have a chance to win the game. So I'd agree with you that anything below 50%, you know, 50% bare minimum, fair wins, no turnovers, and you get you get rushing yards when you need rushing yards is enough. 
against a team that's taken the ball away from you, against a team that is playing better than you, no, it won't be enough. But I, I look at a lot of these games that I'm seeing, and no, the, the quarterbacks aren't throwing at 50%. But their overall numbers, you've got throws in garbage time. You've got throws when it doesn't matter. In the heart, heat of the competition, really, you're, you're looking at 50% is the floor, two-thirds, you get above 66%, you go, you're good. You get to 75% in that game. That's the other thing about the stats. Those are probably aggregate for a season stats, and I don't, I don't disagree with them. But I'm talking about in that game. You get to 75%, you're on fire. You, right. So in a game, in one single game, all things considered, the minimum output from your quarterback has to be a 50% to have a chance to win. So asinine looking at numbers versus year, sure, I'll take it. We can agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm looking at what I've been seeing, and I'm, I'm the new guy. I, I've only been doing this for a couple years, and it, I get a sense that uh, uh, Mike Tackett's been doing a lot, it a lot longer, and so he comes off with a very, very strong opinion. And when I get to his point in experience, I might just agree with him. I might say that was a pretty asinine thing to say, Ralph. <laughs> well, as, I wouldn't as go you... so far to say asinine, though. <laughs> right. oh, this, is, this is social media. Oh, this, this yeah, is this is fantastic and hyperbolic all the time. <laughs> we we've got thick skin on on this on yeah. this uh, in this arena. You know, you you have to. Um, but but to 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 make your point, Ralph. Uh, I don't know that you're necessarily disagreeing with what Mike Tackett says as maybe, maybe he misunderstood what you were saying as, uh, as what's acceptable. That being the baseline, the floor, as you said, you're not happy when you're comp- when your quarterback is completing 50%. That's not what's happy, but you're right. That that's the bare minimum of what you need to, to win a game, to have a shot at winning a right. game. That's yeah. If the- your quarterbacks, yeah. If he's throwing below 50%, you virtually have no shot, especially if you're turning the ball over. And then he comes out and says, in this comment here, where he's basically agreeing with all of us, that Nelson is the leader in both rushing and passing yards and rushing, passing TDs. He's my MVP. Well, he's he is, mine too. He for is, yeah, for, for the year. And right now his numbers are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But he's, he, was two, he was two for 11 in the first three possessions. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That it, that's not a typical Arvell Nelson performance. Not even close. True. And so yep. in that game, yeah, I I I would be happy. I would have been happy if he had a fifty percent passing rate rather than being two for eleven. Right, right. And you know, and Arvell Nelson by far and away leads the NAL in rushing uh, touchdowns. Oh, okay. uh, I. I don't know that he leads in passing uh, yards, uh, as Mike claims. I think I that may not be yards. 100% accurate, but he's up there. Inside the walls is bailing us out as usual. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there he goes. Yeah, inside the wall says he's second in passing yards, passing TDs behind Castronova. Castronova's having a phenomenal season. Um, and that's why I say uh, – Arvell Nelson is in the conversation for MVP, but right now, if you uh, look at the, if you had a vote, it's hard to vote against against uh, Castronova and the performance he's he's had right now uh, up to this point in Jacksonville. But 
That being said, Arvell Nelson, even by the admission of the of the Predators broadcast, is mm-hmm. they called him the most dangerous player in the NAL, yeah. and he's he's deserving of 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 a title like that. Um, you know, especially from opposition. And the Predators were just ready. They were ready for this game, and the Gunslingers weren't as ready as as they thought, or as we thought and hoped. And it turned into a loss. But at eight and two, they're still in first place. It's a technicality because they're in first place by half game because Jacksonville at seven and one has uh, to catch up to the Gunslingers uh, game wise. Once they do, with the records being equal, uh, they will hold the tiebreaker if they have a like record because of a uh, point differential in the head-to-head. Um, but the, uh, the schedule ahead, the Gunslingers, as we said before, looking forward, they now have a bye week to kind of look at film, lick their wounds, decide what they're going to do moving forward at the quarterback situation. I'd be shocked if it's not Arvell under center again. Um, And then they have to get ready for the next uh, away game, which is going to be another tough game at Carolina against the the Cobras. Um, In the meantime, Jacksonville, uh, next week, they're on the road, or are they at home? Next week they are – on nope, the road. they're they're on the road against the very same Predators team that we just played, and that's going to be an interesting game because they are rivals, in-state rivals, um, and they always play each other tough. And right now, uh, the Predators are on a roll, and uh, so we're gonna be we're gonna go from uh, not being Predator fans this past week to probably rooting for them this coming week. I know. Uh, while we're sitting at home, no gunslingers game to watch. Uh, that's going to be a game to watch there. It's going to be a great game. Well, and we, uh, we also have to be fans of West Texas. Yes. If West Texas hangs a loss on uh, the Carolina Cobras at home in, in, in Odessa, that secures the number two seat. Uh, number two seed for the playoffs, and that guarantees San Antonio a home playoff game yeah and Mm -hmm. you know just to remind all of the gunslinger fans we're also fans of the nal so even if we're not playing this week we still need to watch these games the outcome can make a difference and so you know watch them on tv watch them live and it's good football it's good football and we really need to pay attention to the outcome that's very good football, and it's an exciting game. I mean, it's a it's an explosive game. Uh, a blink, and you're going to miss something. And there's so many creative ways to score points and make plays in this game. I don't know how anybody can watch this this game and understand the rules and and not have a lot of fun with it. So, um, unfortunately, we don't get a chance to watch a home game until the two weeks from now when the Gunslingers will be back home for their final game against the same Carolina Cobras on July 22nd and then finish off uh, the season on their last bye week, which is a good thing, I think, having the bye week going into the playoffs. Ready. They can kind of get ready and get healthy if they have anybody that, that needs to kind of recover a little bit um, from the violent sport that they play. Um, but for those of, you, those of you that don't know or have noticed and looked on the schedule because – 
this tight race between the gunslingers and the Jacksonville Sharks, we're going to be keeping tabs on how the other team is doing uh, to see who's going to go in with that number one seed and hold home field advantage and hopefully host the championship game in early August. Uh, you may have noticed that the Jacksonville Sharks have four games left on their schedule while the Gunslingers only have the two that we've talked about. So that leaves Jacksonville with a total of 13 games because they're one game uh, behind us as far as games played. Um, and the San Antonio Gunslingers at the end of the season will have only played 12. Uh, advantage or disadvantage or what do you what do you think of that, Ralph? I like it because the front end of the Gunslingers schedule was absolute hell. You start you start out by playing the team that was the runner-up in the previous year championship. Then you go to play the number three team again at that location. And then you go to play the defending champion in their location. We didn't think we would be 3-0 and at that point. Now on the back end of the schedule, the back three, now two games, having two buys there, and we are hanging on for the time being. Mm-hmm. And it's up to, you know, if Jacksonville takes a loss, uh, we're back in uh, ahead. And they may, you know, if we take care of business, we remain number one. But we no longer control our destiny. That was the significance of this loss. We are now depending on others to do things to settle our fate. That's why we're going to be Orlando fans. And that's why we are going to be Warbirds fans. And... Inside the walls again, I'm pretty sure that's Jim comes on and says, home teams, by the way, are 12 and 2 in the playoffs. And that doesn't doesn't distinguish between rounds. Yeah, that's a a significant advantage, uh, to say the least. Um, And you're right. So now the, the gunslingers, as a result of this game, no longer in the driver's seat. Right. But it's not the end of the world. I mean, if I had told you at the beginning of the season, especially with that stretch, that road stretch to start the season that Ralph is talking about, if I had told you that after 10 games, the Gunslingers will hold a record of 8-2 and two at the beginning of the season, I don't think a single Gunslingers fan would not be elated with that. Right. would be excited to know that we were going to be 8-2 and two after 10 games into the NAL season. So... I guess now we just have to put on our, our predator hats (laughs) to, to uh, be some, some Orlando fans over this weekend. The, as you said, Ralph Jacksonville only has to lose one game and gunslingers are right back into the driver's seat with only two games to play, which means less opportunity to take another loss. Right. Um, And if they take care of business, one away game, one home game, you know, I like those odds. And Philip, as he said last week in the show, he likes the odds of Jacksonville dropping at least one of their games to the Predators, who they play twice in their last four games. And after watching the Predators uh, and how they handled the Gunslingers, and, you know, I, I, I can't argue with that thinking. So as hard as, it, as hard as it is to do after this week, Gunslinger fans have to be uh, – somewhat predator fans over the next couple of weeks 
Um, and then just remember, if we happen to play them again to uh, in, in the playoffs, because that's the only time we'll play the Predators again this season, we don't forget the mud. That's right. Get the mud. <laughs> and I know, uh, Leo, you and I were talking about how the first place team would have to play the third place team and possibly the second place team play the fourth. Did you want to talk no. about that? Or, no. Is that right or it's, wrong? It's first. The top seed first will play the bottom seed, the fourth. And then oh, second okay. will play third. Oh, okay. okay. And that's yep. relevant to that that stat, the 12 and 2 stat for home teams. You could fairly assume that the number one team is almost always going to beat the number four team. And that usually happens. But when you look at the two, three, clearly those two teams are closer to each other. You might think that's a 50, 50 ball. If that was the case, it wouldn't be 12 and two. It would be a different set of numbers. The home field in the playoffs matters a lot. That's why we're talking about it. That's why it's so important. Why bunch of reasons, but visiting teams don't have traveling fans. Yep. And, and the home field advantage becomes huge because exactly it's, it's not necessarily a huge factor when there's a big disparity between the two teams that are playing. But honestly, if you're looking at the teams in the NAL right now, the disparity is not that big from top to bottom. Yeah. Who's, or, the, who, who's, yeah. who's, who's the quote worst team? Uh, who's, uh, you know, who's, uh, one in 13, who's, who's going to finish one in 13. There is nobody. Right. No, nope. there's yep. nobody in this league that I, I, I don't think could, uh, be considered a bad team. And I, I'll go on record now. Look out for the Warbirds next year. Yes. But look out next week because the next two games, Jacksonville, Orlando are just going to be absolute fireworks absolute freaking fireworks because Jacksonville's hungry, looking to avenge the loss. Orlando's hungry. They're looking to seal their fate as being the number four team. And whoever ends up being the number one has to play Orlando again uh, for us. Yikes. And, you know, it could be, yeah, it, it could be very difficult for Jacksonville to beat a team three times right inside the walls has it again. Well, raise your hand if you'd be willing to travel for the playoffs. I know I would. Well, I mean, you're looking at if it's Orlando, then it would be in Florida. If it's uh, the Warbirds, then it's uh, it's in Texas, but it's it's a drive. Texas is a big state, but you could at least drive it realistically. Right. But if it's Orlando, then then you have to hop on a plane. I don't, I don't assume anybody's going to drive all the way to Orlando for an arena football game. Maybe. Uh, right. But uh, that would be summer, nice if the you know? Gunslinger fans can can travel. That would that would be something. Um, I don't know, though. Uh, Florida's a, a big ask. Well, it's still the summer. Uh, kids are still out of school. You can still use some vacation time. That it is right now. So again, inside the walls podcast uh, chiming in. They just said a little while ago it's a uh, uh, one and two seeds are four and one in the first round. Uh, as of right now, it's Orlando at San Antonio because mm -hmm. Orlando is four, San Antonio is one, and Carolina at Jacksonville. Um, although that one and two seed is going to flip flop over the next few weeks uh, because of the in the. the game. 
the inequality of the games between the between the the two teams. Uh, so it's definitely going to be an interesting last couple of weeks of the season as the gunslingers get ready to wind down and prepare for the uh, the playoffs. They've they're in the playoffs no matter what. They could lose out, which they won't, but they could lose out the last two games and they're still in the playoffs. Um, they clinched that uh, a couple of weeks ago, the first team to clinch a uh, playoff berth. So, uh, so we're looking forward, not the end of the world after this loss, it hurt, you know, uh, it definitely was not what we were hoping for when we went to uh, Alamo beer for that, that watch party again, inside the walls podcast, gunslingers can do, do no worse than third. But we don't want to do third because third means no home game. Right. You so, want to push the home game. Yes. Yes. Oh, and to answer your question, RC, about traveling, uh, Coach Q, get a party, a party bus, Leonardo Yamas. I would love to do that. I um, am all aboard for that one. <laughs> now, that would be awesome. Um I don't know who would be able to put that together or who could put the, the time in to look into something like that, but uh, maybe, maybe that's something we can look at and figure out. That would definitely be fun. Um, and uh, if we hear anything about that, then we'll definitely talk about that on the show and let the For fans sure. know to see who wants to get in on that and be involved. Uh, Heidi Ludwig, <laughs> Heidi uh, Ludwig Higgins already chiming in. She says, I'm in. I'm in, Heidi. Come on, girl. We got to do this. Johnny Salazar. Let's do it, Leo. Let's do it. We will look into it. Coach Q saying he's going to look into it for Lolis. Look what you started, Lolis. Look what you started. <laughs> or actually, no, it was Coach Q that started it. It's just that Lolis agreed. And, of course, if Lolis agrees, then I have then to you're agree. All, then you're in. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have no choice in the matter. But I would totally be down if we get something like You know something who we like need that. to ask is Jorge Mata. He kind of did something like that for the Brahmas. So if we can do it for the Brahmas, we can do it for the gunslingers. We just yeah. need the right connections. Yep. We got to get on, get, uh, look into it, get on the horn. And uh, yeah, Jorge might be a good resource for that for sure. So that's everything going on in the league and on the field and up to this weekend. Let's talk about some things. Uh, I mean, we have the holiday coming up. Uh, Tomorrow, 4th of July, right? That's yeah, right. Tomorrow. Uh, so happy 4th to everybody. Happy Independence Day. Uh, but the uh, San Antonio Gunslingers announced something today on their Facebook page about an event. Um, the first I saw of it was earlier today. I don't know that they had previously made an announcement. They're probably more concerned with a game that they had to play over in the state of Florida. Um, right. But they call it the 4th of July I like this red, white, and boom parade. Love which it. Which is yes, very cool, very cool name for this event. Uh happening at 10 a.m. tomorrow That's in right. Lavernia. Um, they mentioned they're gonna have a meet and greet after the parade, which they mm -hmm. will be in the parade, um, at the Den restaurant in Lavernia until 1 p.m. So this event goes from 10 a.m to 1 p.m. If you Gunslingers Posse, anybody out there, members of that Posse, the Gunslingers fans, can make it to that event, um, that should be uh, uh, pretty cool. Um, you know that anything, any party the Gunslingers throw, it's going to be a spectacle and it's going to be fun. Uh, I think I read something on there that they're going to have opportunities for some tickets 
uh, for the yeah. next, the last home game. Um, but yeah, definitely sounds like a worthwhile event. If you have availability in the morning to make it out there, Lavernia's, um, what is that? About a 30 minute drive outside of San Antonio. Somewhere's yeah, about there. there. Yeah. Um, 30 minutes away from everything else. Yeah. That's how, that's how we do things here in South Texas. <laughs> Everything's 30 minutes away, <laughs> but, uh, Definitely sounds like uh, an event that would be worthwhile to attend if you're able to make it. I know it's a holiday and it's a last minute type uh, announcement. Um, but if you have time prior to 1 p.m., most of the 4th of July festivities, at least the big ones here in San Antonio, don't start until well in the evening hours uh, for fireworks and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that definitely sounds like something that would uh, be very cool uh, to going. attend. RC is going. You're going to be right. You have plans made out there, Ralph? I am considering it now, but I will say this it is an event by the city of Lavernia. It's not just the gunslingers involved. So there's going to be a lot of activities out there. Yes. Uh, not, not just the potential to meet and greet your San Antonio gunslingers. Right. There is a lot going on. It is a, a big holiday that, uh, at least I know, uh, the city of San Antonio goes hard. Uh, for for the 4th of July uh, with their events and their fireworks. I myself won't be able to make it. We're hosting here at the house with uh, family and friends that are coming over. I live just a couple of blocks walking distance away from Woodlawn Lake, and they uh, there's always a really big uh, fireworks show at Woodlawn Lake that starts at 8 o'clock. Uh, the traffic around here, the parking, I mean, it gets, it gets pretty crazy and pretty congested. So it's hard to get in or out, uh, in the starting the late afternoon hours. So we have people coming over tomorrow, starting around noon, one o'clock, um, planning to be here. And we're just going to cook out and hang out for the day and then walk over for the fireworks. So, uh, that makes it not possible for me to make it out to Lavernia myself. Uh, but if I could, I definitely would. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to see what a gunslingers parade looks like. Uh, so, RC, if you're going, definitely take pictures that we can post on the Facebook page and share with the uh, fans that can't make it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm super excited about it. Uh, we're pl planning on getting there early, Francesca and I, and my niece Angie, and we're gonna help out as much as we can with the parade. Maybe be in it. Who knows? Get some autographs. Oh. Who knows? You never know. And also, I've heard that the uh, six shooters will be there, and they're kind Those of. Those are my girls. Segue to RC to talk about another way uh, you have young women to interact with the six shooters. Yeah. So on uh, Saturday, July fifteenth, which is coming up real quick, from ten a.m. to one thirty. They are having the San Antonio Six Shooters are having a youth dance and cheer camp. And so that's going to be um, and the, the show a show off begins at 2 p.m. So that's an opportunity. If you have any young girls or young boys um, who are interested in cheer, that would be great. They have different age groups. So if you're thinking, oh, my child is too young or too old, I'm, I'm going to give you a list of the age groups. So um, the petite is ages four to six. Elementary school age from 7 to 10, middle school ages 11 to 13, and high school ages 14 to, uh, to 18. I'm sorry. Yeah, 18. So just know that your, your child, your niece, your nephew, your grandchild, your daughter, your son, 
They're not too young and not too old to participate. It's going to be at St. Gerard's Athletic Center, which is located on your Braunfels. And it's going to include a cheer camp shirt, a pizza party, crafting games, and photos with the Six Shooters team. So the cost is $100 per child. But I do know that the Smoking Guns podcast, we're ready and willing to sponsor any child who wants to participate. They just have to um, send us an email, send us a message, and we'll be happy, so happy to support one of our youth uh, to attend the camp for $100. Yes, message the show, get in touch with us, reach out to us in, in Facebook or Messenger or email us, and we will definitely uh, reach out to um, the gunslingers people and, and get that taken care of. If you have uh, someone that is interested in being part of this cheer camp, uh, as RC said, they've got all the age groups covered, which is yep. awesome. So uh, let us know, reach out to us. We've, we've thrown this out there a couple of times for some opportunities. It's like free money that, that, uh, that people just aren't able to take, I guess, uh, but share that out, share it with people you may know, whether it's a neighbor or, you know, a friend or coworker, uh, there's still time to get involved in this. If you, if you know someone with a little cheerleader and the podcast is more than happy to help out uh, to sponsor uh, one interested uh, young lady or young man person that's interested in this cheer camp. Uh, we'd love to help you guys out. They didn't specify male or female, so I'm just inviting both. Yeah, uh, I don't see any reason why why not. Yep. So, is there anything else going on off the field that you guys uh, wanted to to mention or talk about? We don't have Philip on the show this week. Uh, he has a prior um, uh, engagement that's that or commitment uh, with his ministry, a youth camp that he's running this week, so he could not be on the show. Our show normally runs at least two hours because Philip loves to hear himself talk. talk. (laughs) We will not be going that late to today. Um, So we're kind of winding things down here. Uh, But uh, we definitely excited about the next couple of weeks. We don't have a gunslingers game this coming weekend, like we mentioned, but everyone, every one of you should be watching the NAL this weekend. There are two very important games that have playoff implications and um i hate to say it but uh go predators and go birds uh but yeah is ralph anything you wanted to uh as we're winding down kind of uh mention or 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 tell the fans no i i would just say that uh like pierre turner characterized the gunslingers at the beginning of this season uh they're efficient and so this show tonight is efficient we have covered the ground without using all the time normally consumed by the show. (laughs) So are we normally inefficient? (laughs) No, no, (laughs) no. You asked asked me to say something here at the end. (laughs) There you go. No extra ad. And that was my attempt at at kind of riffing here for the extra ad to pass it off to Leo. Perfect. No, that's thank you, Ralph, for stepping in and stepping up for stuff. Yes, we thank you uh, last week and now, um, Philip. So thank you, really. We thank you very much. My camera has not failed as it has in my last two appearances on the show. Now, having said that, it'll cut out at any moment. Of course.
course. Any minute. <laughs> you jinxed yourself. Yeah, you're definitely, I think, uh, going to find yourself on more shows. You're, you're going to be somewhat of a celebrity on all these podcasts and live shows around covering uh, local football and NAL football uh, because of the great uh, insight and you know attention to detail that you have and the, the, the uh, great input that you have. We thank you very much for sharing with us. Uh, Ralph Judkins, I like to call his comments, just to me personally, I call him uh, Judkins Judgments. Uh, when he <laughs> when he has something to say or tell you his his two cents on what he saw going on on that on the football field, um, it's always interesting and always good stuff. So thank you very much for that. Um, so with that said, as we uh, wind the show down, when it comes to football, whether it's the 100 yard gridiron or the mayhem of the 50 yard uh, indoor game. Those of you in Orlando will bring the mud next time. Jacksonville Sharks, or whether it's Houston, St. Louis, Arlington, wherever you are, we're not going anywhere. The 210 has got something to say. Bang, bang. <laughs>